You're listening to That Moment When. Stories of specific and honest relational touch points that change a person's life. Brought to you by the Christian Standard Bible and CSB Podcast Network. My name is Richard Clark. Trevin Wax didn't know what God's plan for his life would be. But as the general editor of the Gospel Project and author of Rethink Yourself grew in dependence on him, he encountered trajectories he could not have imagined. In this episode, Trevin explains how God freed him up to be salt and light wherever he went. I did a, a Disciple Now when I was a freshman in high school, which was a Disciple Now weekend, which our church had thrown on, which was basically, you know, it's kind of like a three-day weekend, a lot of Bible study, a lot of activities, a lot of different things, a retreat sort of thing. The theme for that year was Not Ashamed, and a, a lot of the emphasis of the, the, the teachers, the leaders, everything were, was about being, being salt in your school because the whole weekend had been about being like salt and light in our schools and whatnot, everybody who wanted to take on this this thing, this uh, mission, this challenge to be salt, that wanted to live this way, to want to be held accountable. At the end, they had on the, you know, on the platform, on the steps of the platform, they had actual pieces of like salt blocks that you could like basically take home as like a physical reminder of this decision you made. You you would go forward to get the salt block and then there would be this couple in your church. You know, there were all these different couples, older men and women throughout the church who they would take a salt block as well and would pray for that particular student. So they teamed up like older people in the church with the teenagers. And and I mean, the the, the couple that took mine, like they prayed for me for years for years. Like I was already in college, come back from college. And they, every time I'd see them at church, they're like, we still pray for you. We still have the salt block, you know? And so it was a powerful thing. And I don't remember, I don't even know where my salt, the salt block went anymore. It was there for years and years in my room, like on my dresser, but I saw it every single day. And it was sort of this sort of, you know, it makes you think of like in the, the old Testament when they would build something, some kind of stones of remembrance or something. It was like that for me. I feel like I was blessed to to grow up in a really strong family with strong believing parents and grandparents. And I mean, it would take me a while to go back generations before I could find someone who is not a strong believer. So I really don't have much memory of anything but a strong Christian family as the result of multiple generations of faithfulness. I mean, my, my parents were they were serious about their faith. They were serious about transmitting their faith to their kids. I had a strong relationship with, with my parents, had 
strong relationship with siblings. I mean, I think we had a pretty idyllic family life in a lot of ways. I mean, idyllic in the sense that I felt secure at home. I felt secure with mom and dad. I knew mom and dad were going to be there for each other and for us. Idyllic in that we we were, there was a strong family dynamic. We would, we did things as a family a lot. And so, you know, when we'd go on vacation, it was a family thing. And when we would do this or that, it was a family thing. For a lot of my formative years, my, the world was getting bigger and bigger because it kind of starts off and, you know, you're sort of in this idyllic little family, this little church and this little Christian school and all your family members Christian and all these things. I don't ever remember a time I wasn't conscious of Christianity. When I was really young, like four years old, I had a rudimentary understanding of the gospel, that I was a sinner, that Christ died for me, that if I put my faith in him, I would be with him forever. Um, but it, it was really, it was really early. So I don't, I don't have much memory of any time before knowing Jesus. And then you, you know, as you get a little bit older, the world widened. When my, my dad got involved in local politics, he, he was on the city council for eight years. And really from the time I was 10 until I was a senior in high school during those years when you're starting to pay attention to all sorts of stuff. And so seeing other denominations, seeing other churches. I remember one time we went to a Buddhist temple. At this point, dad was already a representative. And one of the things he wanted to do was, you know, to represent citizens from different walks of life and different religions. And dad didn't have this sort of fear of let's experience this or let's go with this and come on as a fan. And we did all these things as a family a lot of times. But I remember being mad that afternoon being like, okay, dad, I get that we're going to like Pentecostal churches and that we're going to go to like non-denominational churches. But I mean, a Buddhist temple, I mean, come on, because <laughs> it just felt like it was just so far out of, you know, the, cause you know, we'd already kind of seen different church traditions and that was an eye opener in itself. But like the, the Buddhist temple with like the monks and the, you know, the people spraying water and, you know, giving candy bars and things. I mean, it was just, it was fascinating, just fascinating. So I kind of, I got a little taste of, you know, politics and community and it kind of got us outside of our church a little bit too. You met people who love Jesus, who worshiped really different than you. You know, you'd go down the street to the, to this church and it's all solemn and people reading through a liturgy. And then you go to this other church and people like jumping up and down and, you know, and then you go to this other church, it's more charismatic or this other, like, and, and you met all these people and yet they were all, the, the, you could tell there was this similar bond, this bond between people. And so a lot of the people that our family connected with over those formative years for me were not people from our church tradition. They were people from other church traditions. So I think if one of the things that changed family dynamic wise is it widened, it widened the vision for me to actually feel what evangelicalism was before I even knew what that word was. Like I felt evangelicalism. I, I realized there's a culture here that transcends denominational borders. And there's a, there's a relationship with Jesus that's bigger than a lot of distinctives in our church traditions. So that that was a change in the dynamic. Another change in the family dynamic was just suddenly be, being a part of a public family to some extent. You know, like going into a restaurant and, you know, as the preteen or teenager, like kind of rolling your eyes because, you know, a good 
four or five people in the restaurant are going to know dad. And so they're going to have to go talk to dad and get, you know, it's that kind of, oh man, we're always, always on display. You're always on. Most of the time it was cool. You know, there are all sorts of things that were, we, we did as a family that were part of the journey of, you know, dad running for city council and dad running for state Senate and those kinds of things. And, um, but sometimes you don't want to be recognized and sometimes you don't want to be the, the family who you're all kind of tired and worn out and sullen in the van. And then you got to get out and then you got to like everyone, you know, you got to, it's all got to be on. Cause you're a friend, you know, a friend of the family was the, you know, and suddenly you got to turn the smiles on and you got, I mean, anybody in public life knows what that's like. It's just, I got, I kind of got used to that as a kid. One of the fears that I struggled with in the years following that was, you know, what I guess I guess the fear of standing out and losing the approval of other people, losing the approval of other people because you're either too devoted to Jesus or losing the other the approval of people because you're not living up to what they think your spiritual life should be. And and I've I feel like I've bounced back and forth between both of those fears multiple times throughout childhood and as a teenager like fitting in and not fitting in like I was afraid of not fitting in with the crowd that really wasn't serious about faith at all but also worried about letting people down if I wasn't living up to the sort of the the, the standard or the spiritual pedestal that I felt people would put me on as well I would say that the Disciple Now weekend marked a turning point. I don't know that there was anything new there that I hadn't heard before. It was it was more of a sense that everything I was hearing was directed to me. It was like the Spirit was using it to challenge me. I went to a Christian school, and so I just had never really thought about being salt and light in a in that kind of way, I just, to me, it was like, you know, I'm, I'm in Christian environments almost all the time, but I think that event woke me up with the realization that, whoa, wait a minute. If everything I say, I believe is really true, then this changes, this changes the course of my life. Like this is actually the decisions I make in my life from now on are decisions that are affected by this. Like I can't I can't really say that I am a Christian, believe all of these things about Jesus and it not affect the way that my life is supposed to unfold. So while Jesus is sort of like my, my Christianity had been sort of a my, my faith had been something of the in the background. It was sort of humming along, but wasn't I didn't look at it like the engine or the steering wheel or so you know, it was something that was just there and the disciple now woke me up to the fact that oh wait a minute like if this is really real and i'm going to live this way then i'm going to be different even from students at a christian school who are not necessarily who may be following jesus with their mouths but are not actually backing it up with the way they live um and it really hit home and then the camaraderie of that youth group was um was was really special like we all felt like we could do it we could be salt and light we could be different we could risk standing out and losing the approval of your peers if you knew you also had 
this group behind you that was cheering you on. And that's what it felt like. The youth group was really on fire at that point. And then just a few months after that, as a 15-year-old, I went overseas for the first time. So my dad had lost a really important race and had gotten asked by the pastor if he would go on a trip to Romania. And he said yes. It was sort of a fact-finding trip before we would take other teams to there. It was a two-week thing. And I I said, man, dad, I think you should go. Like, I would do anything to get to go to do something like that. Well, dad heard that, and then he calls up the pastor and is like, hey, what about if I take Trevin? So then he comes back and to me, and I'm like, whoa, I wasn't really thinking I would go. You got to understand, at that time, this is 90, early 1997, Romania was just six years, seven years after the revolution that had toppled the dictator. It was coming out of communism. It was still very much in poverty as a country. Uh, things have changed a lot since since that time. But um, and so it was a it was an extreme culture shock. So yeah, that was a that was a very formative experience for me because it opened my eyes to believers that had endured under far tougher circumstances than anything my family and my friends or I had ever seen. I, I think it just, it was the, the realization that the world is a whole lot bigger than anything I'd ever experienced before and that the church is a whole lot bigger than anything I'd ever experienced before. The, those two things were life-changing and set me on a trajectory to, to thirst for that and want, want that bigger experience of the world and also want that. I, I, got, I got a taste of that and then wanted a lot more. It threw me onto, it threw me onto God in a trusting sense. Like I, I, I remember feeling, I, and I still even now remember this, had this long trip, luggage got lost, so then we're like getting there and we don't have our stuff and we're wondering if we're going to get it. And I remember getting to Hungary before we drove over the border to Romania and everything feeling so foreign, so foreign. Uh, it was, you know, even, Hungary had just come out of communism not that long before as well. So these countries were, I mean, it was, it felt so foreign. And I remember being in the van with all of our, the luggage once we finally got it and all of our you know, here it is middle of winter and it's cold and snowy and we stop at this place to get some goulash or something to eat and everything is different. Minis are different. You can't read any signs and you're just feeling completely overwhelmed. Um, and, you know, and you're in a place where 10 years before would, have, you know, you'd be under surveillance being in the, that, that place. And I, and I remember looking out maybe with the jet lag and whatnot and seeing the moon and just thinking to myself, okay, this is the same moon. This is my father's world. This is the same moon. This is the same sky. This is the same thing I would see from my quiet, comfortable little home and room in, in the United States. And, and I just remember like grasping onto familiar things and seeing the moon and then thinking, man, father, your world is big. <laughs> And it feels so foreign to me and just, it, it really pushed me into a, into a sense of dependence upon, upon him in a way that I hadn't quite felt before. And 
And I carried that sense of dependence back. And it became part of my everyday spiritual life rather than just when I would be on trips. But yeah, that, that was a, that, that sense of trust. Like I've taken this step of faith as a 15 year old and I'm kind of gone. I'm, I'm not walking out of my comfort zone. I am leaping out of my comfort zone. Like there's no in between, you know, like from the United States to like a, a village in, in, in Romania where the floor is dirt and the chickens are running around your feet and you're eating chicken soup, sitting on in a one room house with, you know, you and your dad are sitting on one bed and, but I mean, you don't, you don't, you're not prepared for that kind of radical culture shock. And it forced, it threw me onto God for, for trust um, and for, for dependence. And I think open the door for future big decisions. I didn't know when I was 15 that just how impactful that trip was going to be on me. I, I knew though, when I was 15, I was coming back. Like there was no question. I, I don't know exactly. It's tricky. It's one of those things where there are just certain times of in your life. And people talk about this with their own, with particular places or church. Like you go to a church and you go once and when you're leaving, you're like, you, you, there's this strong pull that this is not the end of that of that story or that journey. And then I went again when I was 16. And then I went again when I was 17. And then I went again twice when I was 18. And then I moved there when I was 19. I mean, I did a lot of soul searching and a lot of heart searching before I moved to Romania permanently. Or I say permanently for those five years when I went there for, for college and mission work. Like I spent a lot of time praying about that, talking to people, getting counsel about that, wondering about that. And even now, I it's funny if I look back over the journal I kept during one visit to the place that I would eventually go to college at. I, I was there for a good, I basically I spent a week on campus to see what it would be like and to know before I, before I bought my one-way ticket to Romania, I wanted to like know where I was going, you know, or what it would, what the atmosphere would be like. And even now I look back at that journal and I don't, if you read through it, I'm, I'm leaving myself notes. If I decide to come here, I need to make sure I bring this. Or maybe need to bring a flashlight because they don't have power half the time or they have <laughs> this or that or like all these things. And then at some point in the journal, it switches to when I come here, I'm doing this. And I don't know where the switch happened exactly, but it's sometimes that's how God works is there's a sort of dawning realization that this person or this place or this direction you're going is, is solidified. I met my my wife in Romania one day, and that evening was already asking our our mutual friend about her because I was really really taken with her and feeling like there's something eventually going to happen there, and it didn't happen for a long time, you know. But but that there was something I don't know. It's it feels like I mean not to get all like mystical, but it's like a a twitch in the universe or something like you just there's something that you just suddenly know yeah you just you just know but it doesn't mean that you know exactly how it's going to to turn out like god has made straight your path he is he's put a lantern to your feet and you don't see the whole path but 
there's a little more light and then you know this is the, the path that I'm supposed to be on. Had my dad won that state senate race, which we prayed for him to win, he he wouldn't have gone to Romania the next February. Which means I wouldn't have gone to Romania the next February, which means the entire course of my, the rest of my high school and college, that would never have happened. So sometimes the, sometimes the no's from the Lord of the, when he says no to an answer to prayer, you look back and you think that was the right answer, God, <laughs> you know, or, or I get why that happened in that way. I think that experience set off something in me that would, that, that was okay with risking stuff for God. A, a, just a little bit of fearlessness in, in your relationship with God. Like it doesn't, once you've done that once and then a few more times and then a few more times, and then once you're out of your comfort zone to where you're like living in a different environment or whatnot, it, you know, it really, it, it opens up other possibilities that wouldn't normally follow a career, for example. So, yeah. So I think, I think that's how it changed my relationship with God is that it led me to this place where future decisions that would be seen as a little wacky from the world standpoint, they're, they're, they're a little easier to come by. I still think I battle those twin fears. The fear of not fitting in with the cool crowd, but also the fear of or of letting people down. And I think that's true in the family. I think that's true in church. Um, it's it's the, the, the pressure of that is a little bit even magnified, I think. And so, so th- those two fears are still there. I do think... You know, by the grace of God over the years, I've gotten more comfortable in them not driving me. You know, because at the end of the day, I'm supposed to, like the old disciple now, I'm supposed to not be ashamed. If Romania taught me to be dependent on God, it, it, it also helped reinforce the notion that God is the one I'm living for. Like, I don't have to be dependent on other people's praise as much as that is so attractive to me in my personality. And I'm talking like this is like a done thing. These are like, this is a, these are constant battles, right? Like this is not, it's not like I've, oh, I've won that, that battle over those fears or I've won that battle over that temptation. These are, they're constant. They're constant, but God does use different circumstances in our life to keep us or to pull us back onto the path that he has for us, even when we wander off of it. At the end of the day, I'm back to that kid with the salt lock at the altar in front of the church, wearing the not ashamed t-shirt. And I mean, is that moment going to continue to bear fruit in my life or not? That's the question.
That Moment When is hosted by Richard Clark, produced by Nick Thompson, edited by Kaylin Richardson, brought to you by the Christian Standard Bible and CSB Podcast Network. For more information, go to csbpodcastnetwork.com.